What's going on, y'all? Welcome, 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 welcome to the show of the year. Everybody has been asking about this. When are you going to get the MCU together? You got to get Captain America, Iron Man, the Hulk, Blue Arrow, whoever you want to get it. You got to get every single person onto the show. Now, again, I know Adam might not know who all these people are, but, but, we gonna make sure that we get everybody locked in, man. This is gonna be an excellent show. I can't wait. Ryan, Adam, Matt, everybody's in place. Everybody's good to go, fellas. How y'all doing today? I'm good. I'm good over here. Uh, I'm gonna do the thing where I talk over everybody else. I'm really excited for this. Uh, this, <laughs> this is gonna be a really fun playoffs, or at least we're hoping it. And I'm, I'm looking forward to the opportunity to chat with some of my favorites. Yeah, I'm good. I gotta tell you guys. So here's my story. You guys, Swiper, you tweeted out, you know, the promo for this. Is this what your guys' mentions is like all the time? Absolutely. Because I'm not kidding. I don't deal with this. Like, the three of you guys I know go to war a lot more on, on Twitter. You know, you, you're in the trenches a little bit more. Man, for the last two days or whatever it's been, it's just nothing but Philly fans coming after me. And I'm like, man, I don't even know who these people are. <laughs> you got to turn off. Uh, notific mentions from people that don't follow you. That's the trick. Ah, uh, that's the trick. By the way, I want to know that I'm the Hawkeye of this arrangement. I'm out here fighting robots with a bow and arrow. Not super essential to the group. Yeah, not essential. Just happy to be along for the ride. Uh, more of a Batman in the in this one. Uh, I'll take Black Widow. That's that's me. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I, I love Black Widow. I mean, personally, I'm a Natasha Romanoff fan. Wait, so so Adam, just to be clear, have you seen like a lot of superhero movies or not at all, like any superhero movies? Where do you fall in? I mean, I've only seen the Batman movies. Um, I haven't seen a single Marvel movie. I started Doctor Strange. <laughs> Doctor Strange. <laughs> yeah, Doctor Strange. <laughs> I started that one and I made it like fifteen minutes in. <laughs> well, look. We're going to have a really great show today. Uh, we got a lot of different things to talk about. And obviously, fellas, uh, I actually want to hear from each of you, you know, Matt, uh, Ryan, and also Adam. You know, we just had the completion of the play-in games. We have the playoff games that are going right now. Um, but really, maybe even start with Matt. Because, Matt, you are super locked into all this stuff. What were your thoughts on the play-in games and what you just saw, whether it be from the Timberwolves, the Lakers, OKC, the Heat, the Hawks, the Raptors, wherever? Um, the Heat are sad, which is why it's funny that I'm actually thinking that they're going to probably drag the Bucks to a long series. Um, the Heat should have won that game. We're seeing that now versus this Celtics team with the Hawks look completely overmatched. Um, Raptors were sadder. That was the saddest outcome. Raptors were just very, very sad because then the Bulls are like, oh, hey, how about the, the Bull? No, no, not the Bulls. And then in the West, you actually have some good teams. Um, Thunder, great momentum for next year. Should get shut home. We're in. We'll see where they land in the lottery. Um, they'll have a lot of assets to work with. They should be able to add another another key player. They'll actually start building next year towards actually competing. Thunder's going to make the playoffs next year. Um, Lakers shot a lot of free throws. I'm shocked. Everyone's shocked. Uh, the Wolves, I just continue to be impressed with how much they battle. Like There was so much going against them in that L.A. game. You're on short rest after you had a really tough game versus the Pelicans. You're without Rudy Gobert. You're without Jade McDaniels. You're without Nas Reed. And you still wind up, you know, you had a good game plan. You just can't execute late. That late game execution from the Wolves is something to look out for the, in this series. It's a bad part of their team. But I do continue to be really impressed with how Minnesota competes and stays together. And they only have, like, two modes. Like, crafty and smart 
and tough and extremely stupid and boneheaded and what are you doing so i'm excited to see both of those play out in the series versus the nuggets hmm. what about you adam what do you think about the the timberwolves matchup specifically just, no just the plan like just yeah i mean take away your thoughts about it are you pro plan or are you anti-plan I mean, I'm kind of I'm the only guy on earth that's anti playing and it has nothing to do with the playing because I enjoyed the games a lot. I just this is my theory with the NBA right now. It is broken in a lot of ways and we keep addressing the symptoms, not the not the cause. The cause is players just need to take responsibility for the thing of which they're given. And the symptoms are all of these games not meaning anything. So we well, how can we make them artificially mean something? You can't. We were in the is this year four of the play in now or three? I can't remember. Four. It's four, not much. Four. Okay, four years. In four years, we're already seeing the auxiliary uh, results of the play-in, which is that teams just realize the regular season matters even less. So we've gotten rid of tanking, but we've created this, like, it's not a tank, but it's a half-ass season from so many teams. And it, it's not lost on me that coming into this play-in, who are the teams that everybody's talking about? Oh, the Lakers can beat the Grizzlies. The the Warriors can beat the Kings. The you know whoever can beat the Nuggets. And you're sitting here thinking, I, the, we might as well just say we don't buy any part of the regular season. It's a charade, and let's just get to a playoff and then do it. So that's why I'm out on it, even if I think the games are fun. I think I'll disagree that the teams are are care less because of the plan. I think they care less because they care less. But like the players tend to get real freaked out when you bring up the notion of playing in the play-in. Like they tend to get tight. Like I think teams legitimately tried to get out of the play-in tournament. They just couldn't because they're so Matt, mediocre. Matt, LeBron set the record this year for most points in a game against the Thunder in a game that should have mattered, and the team lost. And it was more about that record. Then he took a vacation the next game when they were in the again. If you had to get to the seven or eight, and it was like life or death, he was, I just. But, but you they didn't have to. Like they finished. Their, they they finished. They would have been in it anyway. Well, yes, but I'm saying at that moment it was unclear whether or not they were going to make it, and you take a vacation. Why? Because you didn't have to be seven or eight. You could have also been nine or ten. They so happened to finish seven. But I'm that's just my point. I think there is a less urgency when you only need to have one of the ten best records, not one of the eight best records. Part of the issue, I think, in general, is that it actually hasn't made any of the one or two matchups interesting. The one seed mm. versus eight seed in, in each of these last few years, the max that those games have gone is to six games, oh. where mm. last year Pelicans took the Suns to six, but it really was only because of uh, Devin Booker's injury. So I don't really think it's made the first round that much more interesting. I think it's made the race up to uh, the, those last few weeks interesting. But, but when has the when has the one eight ever been interesting, right? It never has, and I don't think this has changed any of it at all. Like it, that wasn't the, that wasn't the purpose of it. Yeah, I mean, it was the purpose was to get rid of tanking, which I think it's kind of done that along with the other thing. But like I said, as a result, I do. And it's not just the play in that does this. It's a million factors, including rest and everything else. But there is this general sense of doesn't matter. I mean, one of the things is we have all these indicators about you have to be a top three seed. You have to have a top 10 defense. You have to have all this. This year, somebody is coming out of the West that breaks historical precedent because none of the teams achieve those marks. And I think none of them achieve the marks because to achieve those marks, you kind of have to risk a little bit more, play a little bit harder and do those things. And all teams have said no thanks. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think the playing from a fan value standpoint has added to what the NBA was looking for. I think people are more interested in watching those games down the stretch. I again, but again, I don't uh, and Matt, maybe you can correct me. I don't think a nine or 10 seed has actually made the playoffs through the play in yet, have they? 
I'd have to go back and see. I'd have to go okay. back and and take a look at it. I don't think so because favorites have won right. historically. So it's been no ten seed had won until yet until this week. So yeah. I know that's not true. So it hasn't been a ten seed. Maybe uh, it would have had to have been because the Cavaliers finished, I think, eighth, and then they did not make it. So a ninth seed had to have been one. Yeah, so that was the Hawks, right? That, yeah, that, yeah, that was yeah, the Hawks. The Hawks. Right, so I think a lot of this comes down to I don't love that. Say, again, say we're in a different year, right? And say you got the Nuggets last year of 48 wins, and then you're sitting there you know, with the eighth seed, you got 46 wins, and you're just – it's division stuff, so stuff you really care about, Matt. And the division is what lost you, and you got into the A seed, and then you're losing freak injury. Remember, Paul George caught COVID going into the play-in last year, and they basically lost their playoff. So, that, like, even stuff like that, it's like, so now because you get this sickness and because you get a, a cold or whatever, now you're out because your best player is missing, and you already have an injury in Kawhi Leonard, and then you have somebody make it in as a 9 or 10 seed. I do think that adds a little bit of – maybe unfairness to some degree because you did what you were supposed to do in the regular season to make it. But then these playing games with these artificial numbers that seem to just dissolve into the air because they don't count for regular season stats or playoff stats. Those things kind of happen. And then you just kind of have these teams get in because of circumstance. Now, again, most teams that are seven or eight have made it so far, but it does seem it puts a little bit more of the onus on the good teams to overperform than some of the bad teams or teams that have been struggling. I mean, there's a real easy way to avoid that. Be better. Yeah, you could you could just do that. You could just not you know rest your players constantly like the Clippers do, and just like actually play the games. That's the thing you could do, and then yeah. you could actually win enough. <laughs> yeah, hard hitting analysis I, right there. Not you guys. It's playoff time. Come on. <laughs> All right. So, uh, and Adam, this next question I really wanted to start with you here because uh, first off, you did an excellent show. Um, you did an excellent job asking Calvin Booth questions. Uh, you brought him in for DNVR. I highly encourage, if you have not seen that video, which if you are in this stream, I highly doubt you haven't seen that. But if in case you have not, go and watch that. It was an excellent conversation. Uh, Adam, can you give us some of your big takeaways from your conversation with Calvin, maybe things you learned uh, about the players or about the team that you may not have known or maybe confirmed some things as well? Well, I appreciate that. You know, Cal, I don't think he's done a lot of interviews since becoming the GM. He's done little like radio spots or five minutes, 10 minutes here, or obviously the pressers. So I just wanted it to be a, what's your style? <laughs> like, what is, how do you approach this? How did you get here? And what are the things that you kind of make as your core? And the thing that was interesting to me was him talking about how he, right after he got done as a player, he went in and started an AAU club and then he treated that as almost a, uh, uh, what did he call it? His lab. For And I'm very impressed by this as somebody, you know, trying to do the small business thing with DNVR. He looked at that and said, what lessons do I need to learn about my process? This is my belief in basketball and how you build things. But let me apply it on a small scale so I'll learn all these other things. So I just thought that was he's so thoughtful. I don't think he's one of these guys that's just kind of like getting bumped around as he goes. I think he has a clear vision for here's how I think things should run. Here's my process I'm going to put in place and let's do it. So. That was it. And when he talked about it, I think a lot of the decisions he's made as a GM in his first year, you kind of see a reflection of, okay, there's a concrete philosophy that he is going to um, employ now as the GM of the Nuggets. There's a concrete vision for what he's going to try to accomplish. And we can judge him based on, one, whether we agree with that vision, and two, how well he's able to pull that vision off. Right. And then Ryan or, or Matt, if you had any commentary from what you saw or anything you took away, I mean, please feel free. Well, it's always interesting to hear from a guy like Cal, just because he, he's very rarely out out in the media, like Adam said. And 
to get to get that is is really really impressive. He's a very interesting personality. I think it's not necessarily jumping off the screen in a lot of ways, but he I think has just really approached this about as well as he could in his first season. Uh, a lot of the moves that he makes, I agree with the vision that he has had, and I think that his personality on Christian Brown and Peyton Watson in particular. Uh, was was really, really impressive, uh, just the way that he handled both of those guys throughout the season. I do remember his particular thought process with talking about those those guys and how you how you stay away from a guy like Christian Brown during the season. You don't always have to be in his ear, but right, right. more in the ear of a guy like Peyton Watson just to make sure he's doing the right stuff. And I think part of that relationship has probably helped Peyton kind of get like work his way into a possible playoff spot this year. So it's, it's really cool. It's really cool to have that perspective. And I think for Callis as a former player, he probably, uh, probably helped that along in, in ways that other guys may not have. I think one thing I'll say though, I think he has very strong convictions. And I think when you're in his position, you have so much information thrown at you. And I think one of the best skills you can have is filtering out the non-pertinent information quickly and in my conversations with him, not just on that show, but talking to him, I think he's very good at that. Because I know I'll throw things at him sometime, be like, you know, well, what do you think about this? Aren't you worried? He'll be like, that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. He's very quick to be like, no, I'm focused on length, defense, buy-in, basketball. Like he's, He has his things. And if you throw out a thing with him about something that's not part of that, he's quick to be like, sort that out, filter it out. doesn't matter. Do you consider that to be – is there any risk of like – having a blind spot there or do you feel like it's just like sound reasoning and he knows what matters i think it's a i think it's definitely a mixture of both of those and i will say that i don't think there is a gm that's prop that's perfect at every level of 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 team development and i do think that this specific trait is probably one that's great for this moment and is maybe not as great for the let's start from scratch and start building something moment where maybe you need to be a little bit more open-minded to what it is your first cornerstone piece is. Denver has their cornerstone piece, number one, two, the supporting cast main guys. So really you're just trying to fill in the gaps, and that's why I think it's probably a positive trait for this moment. What Do you, do you feel the personality difference and even the, the roster construction difference from having conversations with Tim Connolly and, and all of you watching him over the years prior, do you feel a stark difference in how they view player development and roster development? 100%. I mean, the, the, the thing that stands out to me first and foremost is I, I, one of the things that Tim wanted to do was make sure that every spot one through 15 was, was as talented as he could possibly make it. Uh, bring in as much talent as possible and have the coaching staff really figure it out. Calvin cho- chose to kind of go away from that and really focused on adding different layers and different voices and different skill sets, uh, maybe not necessarily on the court all the time, but just more like who can get you through a specific moment and who can get you through uh, and and have great communication and and have players that fit in that regard. But uh, it's, it is it is drastically different. Like there is a little bit of overlap there, but Cal, I think like a lot of it is more rigid in terms of what he believes. As Adam was talking about, and then with uh, Tim, it was a lot more artistic. I think in, in what people could be. Adam, what do you think? You you want to go last? Is that why you're saying that? No, I, I can. I, I, just, I, I think, think we're. Um, I I will say that I think with Tim. There was a lot more of a 
you know, he has good instincts and he really likes basketball. And I think that there was a little bit of a fast and looseness approach to him that really worked for his personality. You know, he just, he liked basketball. He'd watch guys and he'd kind of have an instinct about a player or this or that. I think with Calvin, it's much more system, uh, systematic. You know, he, he, I mean, he said on the show, he's a lot about processes. I think that he has a very specific way where there's a chain of events that has to happen for decision-making. Whereas I think with Tim, that was obviously ideal, but I think there was also just a little bit of a, hey, man, I got a good feeling about this one, or I, I just kind of feel that we should do this, and I know it. There, there was less of a protocol, perhaps, in the way that he made decisions. And again, it sounds like one is good and one is bad. There are strengths and weaknesses to both. I mean, Tim Conley obviously made some giant hits. People always talk about Jokic. Monte Morris is a crazy hit when you think about the career he's already had and where he was drafted. Jared Vanderbilt was a great player when you just talk about he found value in a depressed asset the depressed player but um and even will barton i know he had a full career arc but finding will barton at the end of a bench and understanding he was a guy that could bring these things to the table like tim conley had a lot of those so it's not a discount on him but i do think that calvin is probably more orderly in his thinking and especially in his um how he structured the front office you know, Tim had i think um a couple of principles that you could kind of hear every time that you talk to him uh he really over time they evolved into we want to be a team full of guys that just love basketball and want to be in the gym. Like that was where they kind of like evolved to is like, that was who they wanted to build. And part of that is like, you can do that when the team's younger, it gets more difficult when guys uh, get paid and then they have more access to other things that they can do with their lives. Um, the other thing I would say is, is I can't count how many times Tim would say, Oh, great guy, great kid, such a good kid, such a great guy. Um, and that's important, you know, it's funny cause like Tim, I think really whiffed in his first couple of years in trying to find those locker room character guys, but he got much better at identifying it as time went on, but that really mattered to him. It was like, he wanted good people in the organization. He wanted to try and like keep, he knew that having detrimental personalities was bad for a team that was developing Calvin, because he's in the spot that he's in. I think he's much more like a little bit more analytical, a little bit more ruthless, a little bit more like well, I don't really care if he's not uh, the sweetest person in the world. We need some of that. And, or, you know, he does the job that we need. And I think that that balance probably matters quite a bit. For I think so far, know. I mean, it's only been one year and if people look at Will Barton getting traded. I think Tim Conley would have traded Will Barton the last summer too. We'll never know. Yeah. But there is a scale to which Calvin, I think, is significantly more capable and willing to make tough calls than Tim Conley was. So I think right now it's hard I know a lot of people look at those little moves that have happened and said Tim would have never done it. But I do think going forward, if Denver doesn't reach success, I do think he would be more willing to make those tough calls just by nature. I just, Tim, I think when you're talking about he wanted good guys, I think he also saw the best in everyone, which can also be its own flaw and, and its mm-hmm. own good thing. You know, you find somebody like Will Barton and say, no, he's a useful player. But I do think he also tended to see the good side of everyone because that's just his nature. Yeah, I think when I think of what Calvin has done so far, you know, whether it be from Christian Brown, you got a six foot six wing out of Kansas, Peyton Watson, a six foot seven wing out of UCLA, uh, Ishmael Kamagate, a DPOY in the league that he's in in Paris. Uh, and then on top of that, he brought in DeAndre Jordan, traded for KCP, Bruce Brown, and then obviously Ish Smith came with the KCP deal. It seems like he has a clear archetype for the kind of player that he believes fits best with this team. And all of them so far, and I know DeAndre Jordan in very limited minutes has not looked great at times. He does some good moments at times. Um, they all seem to be contributing to a more grit 
defensive identity that Calvin is looking to put around Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., and Nikola Jokic. So I'm, re- I'm really curious to see that what he does with another offseason and how he continues to develop the team. But um, would you all say that you've, you've liked the additions and what he's done so far with the team? Definitely. Oh, yeah. Definitely. It's hard not to, if I'm being honest. Yeah. Matt's, Matt's not so sure. <laughs> wow. What are your thoughts on it, Matt? Uh, to be honest with you, I had an internet breakup. No. Okay. <laughs> you, like, you like the players. You like the players, Calvin. Do you think he's brought in good players? Yeah. I mean, look, I think, you know, Peyton Watson, I think is going to be like, Adam and I have kind of gone back and forth on it, but like, it's a, it's a hit. It's objectively a hit. Christian Brown, objectively a hit. So the first draft is really good. Um, KCP was exactly what they needed. Everyone already identified that. They tried to get him at the trade deadline last year. Um, you know, Bruce Brown, like, how can you not like that pickup? It was like, we all raved about it at the time. And, you know, I think DeAndre, you mentioned, you know, it's, it's really, it's another like, one of those fascinating things is when you are someone that, um, and it's okay. There's lots of really good analysts that don't attend games. Um, and you can be too close to teams if you cover them in person. But I do think that like if you're in the locker room and you're on the court and you see these things, you see the interactions, you see the and you talk to players, you see the impact that a guy like DeAndre Jordan has. And like he's brought exactly what they needed. Like he's been really good and players have shouted him out like Zeke Naji and Peyton Watson have talked about what having him around has done. They've balanced really well, I think, this year with understanding they're a top heavy team that needs top level level talent, but they need veteran voices that are going to be able to bring it. I think they're probably going to have to keep evolving on that end as certain guys age out. But um, in general, I, I don't think you like, I, I don't know how you don't give Calvin Booth anything but straight A's across the board for what he's done this season. Time to get into the infamous playoff talk. Um, everybody has been waiting. Uh, really, I'm not going to lie to y'all. It, it feels like this is not just the culmination of this season, but this is the culmination of the Denver Nuggets since April 2021 uh, when Jamal Murray uh, went down with the ACL injury versus the Golden State Warriors. And then obviously you had that playoff run in 2021 where they got swept versus the Suns. And then you had the next year where there was no Murray, there was no Porter. And then the team even now with Bruce Brown, KTP, all of that wasn't there last year versus the Warriors. And so it feels, y'all, like this run, uh, and it, it maybe because there, it seems like as excited as people are, there's also some anxiousness that people feel because of what's happened the last couple of years. Um, so when you and your initial thoughts about what do you think about that and what you're seeing maybe from fans and on the other side of this? How do, What are your initial thoughts about the Wolves-Nuggets first-round matchup as well? Go ahead, Ryan. Well, uh, first of all, I, th- I think it's just natural for Nuggets fans to feel this way. I-, I think that there's been a lot of anticipation that's been building over the course of three seasons, frankly. And I, I know that for me personally, the – Jamal's side of this was like it's it's like putting everything in stasis for for a long time. And then what I thought was going to be at least a a serious championship run in 2021 was tabled at that point, tabled in 2022. And you see Michael Porter Jr. go down at that point. And 
now you, you've seen the road back and what it looks like for both of those guys. I think that they've, uh, I think they've passed a lot of the tests that they've been set up before them in the regular season, whether that ultimately ends up being like them being great in the playoffs. We still don't know. Like we, we just don't know what it's going to look like. The physical pressures, the mental and emotional pressures that are going to be put on there. I think Nuggets fans can sense that too. If I'm being honest, I think they're, a lot of Nuggets fans have faith that Nikola Jokic will bring it, but every other aspect of the roster is still a relative unknown when it comes to how this team is going to respond to those serious pressure moments. There have not been serious pressure moments for this team this year yet, and this this team like they haven't faced a lot of pressure in the last six weeks to two months. So we're gonna find out. Yeah, you know, like the bubble team. I came out of that being like, this is the most mentally tough team in the NBA, but this isn't that team anymore. Right. And so we have to see like what this squad looks like and how they respond to it. I think the Wolves are a really good first round matchup for them, not in terms of being easy, but instead of the opposite, where Denver's won series before with matchup advantages, where they've been able to match up well against the opponent. I don't necessarily know this is a matchup strength for them. I think there's a lot of ways the Wolves are going to present problems. The Nuggets just have to be better. Like yep. ultimately, I learned this last year when I picked the Wolves versus the the Grizzlies. Um, I made money on it because it was, I think, plus two and a half. But, like, where I was wrong in picking the Wolves to actually beat them was that I was like, oh, this matchup is great for Minnesota. They're going to be able to win with this matchup. But, like, ultimately, the better team wins. How the matchup is can determine how far it goes. If two teams are close, the matchup can get the other team ahead of the other one. But the Nuggets in this series, they're just like, they need to win this series because they're better, not because uh, the other team doesn't have a center, not because uh, the other team has really bad guards that can't defend, like Portland, not because of any sort of tactical matchup advantage. Minnesota matches up pretty well. Denver just has to be like, yeah, no, this is tough, but I mean, we're just way better than you. And that's got to be, that's important for them to prove because that's the level that they're at. You have to be able to beat teams that you don't match up well with because you're just simply a superior squad. Man, Matt, I love everything you just said there because that's exactly how I feel. I look at this matchup and I go, it's hard for me to envision how it's going to go. I think that this series is probably going to have more surprises than usual in terms of matchups. But at the same time, it shouldn't matter. The Warriors didn't need perfect matchups to win every single year. They just needed to be better even in the ones that were tough for them, and they were. And I think that's the case most of the time. So this is one where I look at and I go, I don't think it's a naturally – I mean, first of all, let's start with this. To say a thing is an easy matchup usually means it's an easy matchup for your best player. Because if it – I think we all feel good about a series that set when we say it just comes down to Nicola. If Nicola can play you know, himself – then he's going to be well. But this is a matchup that features two challenges for him, not just one, and obviously Rudy Gobert, and then a second in Carl Anthony Towns, who say what you will about Towns, Towns can score. Like, Jokic has to defend and has to stay out of foul trouble and all these different things. So, um, so that's why I think it's a little bit of a unique one. But at the end of the day, even though it's tough for Denver, they are more talented and in a weird way <laughs> – Deeper in not deeper in terms of bench, but deeper in terms of players that can win a game for you. Denver has Jokic, Murray, Porter, Gordon, who can win a game for you, and then a collection of role players that all can do a, a good job. 
I think they're going to win because if it's Minnesota, it's going to be Towns or Anthony Edwards and then a bunch of role players who can do a good job. Like Kyle Anderson can do a good job in his role, but he's probably not going for 35 points in a game that beats you. So anyway, I think Denver's more talented and they just need to win, even if I think it might be a little clunkier than we would all like it to be. Yeah, um, I actually really am excited to see this matchup. I think because having Rudy, having Cat, and then even, you know, Mike Conley, I think Mike Conley is a good first step for Jamal. Hey, welcome back to the playoffs. You got to guard a quick guard who's a veteran who knows how to play basketball. You know, he might be 35 years old, but he's a good player. And, you know, he was the best offensive player in the court in fourth quarter versus the Los Angeles Lakers, if that means anything. Um, But I think, like, with this team – you're going to have to play well in order to win this series as decisively as you want to. And if you mess around, then this team is good enough to be able to keep you going for six or seven games. And I think that's a good tension point for them because we've seen for the Denver Nuggets in the playoffs that if they feel like they have room to let go of the rope, they've done it before. But they also, if they're under pressure, then they'll play like the 98 Chicago Bulls, basically. So I think a lot of this comes down to making sure you're doing what you're supposed to do, playing at your level, and then executing. And I think this is a great game and a great series to get your defensive execution right. And again, you're going to guard multiple players here too. So I think it's going to be a collection of things, but I think that's just a great opportunity for the Nuggets overall. And and here's one for you guys. Like, if I was doing this when I was arguing with somebody, not on the internet, just with a person in real life, about Jokic versus Embiid's playoffs. You know, Jokic has gone up against uh, the Warriors with Steph Curry, Damian Lillard's Blazers, Donovan Mitchell's Utah team, Devin Booker's Suns team. Those are great pick-and-roll guards. There's not necessarily that in this one. They do have good pick-and-roll play and, and players, but there's not the, like, quick pull-up three guard that's go- I think is going to hurt you the- to the extent that those ones are. So this is a series where I think we will get a good answer about whether or not Denver can defend at a top 10 level. I mean, we know that number, they didn't hit it for the regular season, but can they be a top 10 defense? Look, you got to at some point be able to stop somebody. And if I always say pick and roll in space with a one-on-one guard, that's the, that's the thing Denver can't do. If they don't have that, at least to that degree, can you get some semblance of good defense in there? We'll find out. If, uh, if they play drop versus Mike Conley, he's going to go to the floater. Like Michael just very easily go, that's fine. Like I will take this floater. He will, I don't know that he's at this age, he's going to hit it consistently, but it's a pressure point. Like if it's, if it's one of those clunky random games and the nuggets are up eight and it's third quarter and Conley goes for like floater, three pointer floater wouldn't surprise me. And all of a sudden you're tied. So like, or within one. So like to me, um, you mentioned like Jamal having a guard him to me, this is like, Hey, J- yo, it's time. Like, n- no more half-assing it because if you do, uh, they will absolutely get to a lot of those shots. Like, Ant's going to take a lot of – Ant's not going to gonna make reads. Ant's not going to manipulate the defense and, and, like, target pressure points. They'll probably do a little bit of attacking on switches, and I'm very curious to see who Ant wants to attack on Denver uh, in switches. I'm going to assume it's going to be Murray. But, like, when they run pick and roll – they're going to try and pressure Jokic with Mike Conley, uh, with you know their guards. They'll try and and create pressure points that way. So this is immediately going to be a test for Jokic that only gets tougher, obviously, in the second round if they advance. Mm. There were definitely a lot of plays when you watched this game last night uh, against OKC. I, I thought that Minnesota did a great job of attacking the paint. Now, obviously, they have a a massive size advantage in that, and they. 
don't necessarily have easier like they're they're the reads are going to be tougher against Denver than they were against OKC because they could see over everybody on on the OKC Thunder. But that's going to be one thing. I'm I'm watching Kyle Anderson with that. I'm watching Mike Conley with that. Those guys are going to try to put pressure on Jokic. They're going to try to make him step up in those floater zones and then lob it over the top to go bear. That's going to be like if if he can defend both of those things at the same time, Denver's going to have a quick series. They're going to be able to make it work. But I, I don't know if I've seen enough from Joker to say that that's going to happen. Like like we we've seen how this looks in that Utah series uh, just a couple of years ago. Like that's that's going to be a pressure point that they're going to try to explore. Oh, and, you, and you've got Carl Anthony Towns on the weak side spacing the floor for three. So it's not easy. Like this is going to be a tough matchup for Denver. And just the more I've been thinking about it. The more I think that Denver, especially in those games in Minnesota, they're going to have their work cut out for them to really guard this team. And and like like Adam said, I think this is going to be a real test. They're they're not a pushover. Hmm. So we kind of leaned into it already, but the I want to go through the player profile now. And Ryan and, and Adam and, and Matt, you've talked about them in different different ways, but what do you expect from Joker in this first round series versus the Wolves? I mean, expectations for me are high. I mean, this is a tough matchup, and there's they're going to try to do some things that really have given Denver a, a hard time in the past, including using Gobert as a roamer and, and and different things like that. He needs to make his shots at a high level. He needs to be more aggressive than we see usually, um, especially over the last month. He needs to be really aggressive looking to draw fouls on Towns whenever Towns guards him. I, I actually think the we're going to see a lot of minutes, which is one of the bigs on the court, probably more just Gobert because I think it makes sense to make Towns play against Denver's bench. I don't think Denver has a great answer for that. So when it's just Gobert, you have to go at them. I mean, there there are three players that I think if you can get any of them into foul trouble, it really wrecks all of their best options, and that is Kyle Anderson first and foremost. I think they really need Kyle Anderson, and I, there's been some talk. Even today, Michael Malone at practice acknowledged, we expect they'll throw Kyle Anderson on him at some point. You can't allow that to be a viable viable option. He's not P.J. Tucker. P.J. Tucker can afford to foul out of a game because that he's only out there to foul you six times and to, and to do this or that. Kyle Anderson has other jobs to do, and so you need to go at him and put the pressure point on him so that's not a viable option. Carl uh, Anthony Towns, if he ever guards Jokic, even if it's with Gobert on the court, you need to attack him and make him play defense without fouling. Carl Anthony Towns, and I'm not – this isn't – I don't think I'm being like – hot take or incendiary to say this he's not a great composure guy he'll foul you if no. you put him in position <laughs> if you I'm, I'm just saying i'm not it sounds like weird to talk about character things i don't think he's a guy that can execute not fouling when you tell him hey this is the most important thing so put him in position to fat get in foul trouble and then gobert obviously one-on-one gobert is a good defender that team already has skepticism about him and the impact he has. If you come out in games one and two and it's like, hey, man, the minutes Gobert was at center without anybody else out there, Jokic murdered him, I think there's both a great effect to, okay, what's your next counter? But there's also a psychological effect of Rudy's not very popular out there right now. His number one job is to guard the paint. And if you make him look bad in game one, you elevate the tension of that locker room. Uh, yeah, I agree with all that. I think my best description of Towns is that uh, he's a rare NBA player who tries too hard. Like he gives really good effort. He just doesn't always give it in the best ways. Like he wants to be the guy late. He wants to make plays for others, but the result of that is often like turnovers and sloppy plays because he gets too, he honestly gets too ramped up. We saw that in a preseason game this year. 
Um, you know, I think for me, a lot of it, I, I agree on the Cal Anderson point. As far as like Jokic goes, I think he needs to have his floaters because he's going to have a lot of those opportunities in space. Like even with the, you know, the help over the top, that helps in post-ups. But this is like, this is the time for the Jamal Jokic two-man game, especially when they run Gobert solo. Um, they need to find ways to attack towns in terms of spacing. And the problem I think is going to be AG in the series from that perspective. Like there are all these things are connected, right? Where it's like, okay, what about Jokic? Well, in order for Jokic to be in the best position, you need to make sure that towns, uh, you need to try and get one big on the floor. How do you do that? Well, you have to be able to space the other big off the floor. That gets harder when it's AG. So either AG is going to have to hit enough threes to keep them out, or they're going to have to adjust their lineups to try and counter that. And I don't know how well equipped Denver is from a number of standpoints to be able to do that. Um, look, Jokic will dominate and do the things that he does. He'll have amazing games. He'll have incredible stat lines uh, because he's an amazing player. For me, a lot of the series is about the supporting guys and it's about being able to put pressure on them to attack them. And I'll also add this towns staggers with the second unit. That's bad for Denver. AG will too, though. I mean, I just, I think that's going to be the thing is you're going to see fewer AG Jokic minutes, which first of all, I wish Denver would have experimented more with that. But I do think that you're going to see a lot of that of, hey, AG, we're going to put him on Towns in a second unit, um, at least to try it out early on. And if they do that, there's a capacity for AG to get in foul trouble, which may yep. not be the worst thing. Because for me, it's like if that happens, you have – like it's not that I don't think AG should play in this series. It's that if AG gets in foul trouble, what can you do then? And the answer is you put Christian Brown on the floor to guard Anthony, Anthony Edwards, and then you play MPJ versus Towns in the two-big lineup. And that works really well, theoretically, versus this matchup. Uh, that's that's curious to me because I'm I'm not sure I agree with that. I, I think that MPJ is probably in a bad in a pretty bad position where he's probably fouling a lot in that matchup. And it's too little. Like, man. That's that's a tough one. Uh, just just. Oh, I'm just worried about the other end. Like, if look, if MPJ is hitting threes, are you worried about cat post ups? Um. You got to hit. I, just, I think Cat's going to shoot really a really good percentage on post ups on MPJ, and I'm not sure MPJ will hit a good enough percentage of threes on Towns. I guess I'm not as confident in AG's matchup with him as you guys are. I know I, I'm like Towns is really good. Towns is a really good player, uh, and I feel like Towns is going to be able to score on AG too. Like you're, that's going to be a problem no matter who's on him. I Matt, think do you, he can put him down. Do you think off the bench Jeff or Blocko would match up better in this series? With who? Well, I think to stagger with that. So if you're putting talent with the second unit, who would you rather see? Because they're going to play Dick Nagy, I imagine, at the five uh, more than likely. So if that's the case, then who would you rather play the four in that series to help to play defense? I probably want Jeff on, honestly, if it's Towns at five, I honestly think like AG's the move. I agree with that in there. But Jeff Green is probably an option that I want to go to just because I want the veteran strength on Towns. Uh, I'm sure that Ryan has – different feelings on that no I, i'm 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 probably in agreement there uh just like I, I have i think less faith in zeke in this particular series than i would in in a one where you're actually trying to switch everything one through five and honestly maybe that's what they should be doing maybe that's what they should try is if, if they go straight up hey we're just going to post up zeke naji on towns then that's that's a little bit different but if they're running pick and roll and they're trying to run actions and you're switching everything and you're forcing towns to make reads that might not be the worst thing in the world. It's, it's just, hey, try to get Towns to do everything against a switch-all unit that has, I don't know, Jamal Murray, Bruce Brown, Christian Brown, Zeke Naji, 
Jeff Green. Like that seems that seems okay with me. So with that, Jamal Murray, it's uh, it's uh, his first comeback uh, in a couple of years, Ryan. What do you expect uh, from Jamal Murray in this series? I feel like this is this is a loaded question in, in this uh, in, in this particular call. Uh, no, I, I think I think in this one, Jamal has to be. I said this on the show on my immediate reaction show last night that he can't be the fifth best player in this series. Like that's that's the most important thing because if Jokic is the best player, I think that Denver has a really good chance of winning this series no matter what. But for it to not be a long series, Murray can't be the fifth best player behind Anthony Edwards, Gobert, and Towns. Like he's got to be, he's got to outplay at least one of those guys, if not two, if you really want to make it uh, into something that that's a shorter series. And I think he's got a better matchup. Although I did, I was impressed with Nikhil Alexander Walker last night. Uh, if if he's going to be like, he's not going to be the starter, but he will rotate. And I, my guess is that he'll play a lot on that second unit and really try to match up and, and stop Murray in those ISOs and post-up situations. I think Murray will be better than Shea in that particular matchup, just because of the way that those, that I think Nikhil's kind of wired to defend, but like Murray's got to come up big. Like this is, this is everything that I have been like trying to set up personally. Like I think that he will come up big in this moment. And if I don't, then I'd be a hypocrite. Yeah. I I think that a lot of this series will come down to Jamal probably staggers with the bench. Carl Anthony Towns probably staggers with the bench. And as much as you're talking about Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Towns is the guy that's going to be guarding him in these pick and rolls a lot, right? He's going to have right. to show a lot. You're going to put Towns into a lot of pick and roll action. Murray has to be bubble level. I mean, this is part of what happened in the bubble was you got lineups that featured a big that wasn't going to step up you had Royce O'Neal or whoever you wanted with the Clippers who were good defenders but you can create mismatches or a little bit of space and get to those spots and I think Towns I don't know that Denver has a great answer for how to stop him in those bench units I think he's going to score in those minutes but Murray can score in those minutes as well it's actually a very good setup for him too and he's going to have to be great at least four times in this series to, to make it happen and look I'm one of these people that I don't love the season that Jamal Murray just had his peaks were great. I think his average was okay. But when we talk about a championship contender, like you want to feel a little bit more confident that your guy's going to come out and do it. But I am confident that he's capable of it. And so it's one of those things where last time we saw him, I wouldn't have expected the bubble to happen. And it did. Now there's an opportunity for him. And I'll be honest with you guys. I think he knows it. I think there's probably a little bit of understanding with Jamal of, hey, I have to be better in the playoffs than I was in the regular season. And it's time for me to kind of step up and 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 become a true second running mate there to a great player. Uh, I'm worried about his conditioning. He looked good today. I, I will say, because I, I pay attention to this, Matt, it's like his face. He looked good today where I was just like, all right, looks like he he's looking a little bit like maybe he spent the last two weeks really trying to get ready for this mode. Um, he had, I believe, 28 games where he played – uh, 35 minutes or more and in those games uh, he scored 25 or more in 12 and 24 or less in 16 now it's like messy and I could, you know there's other numbers looking there field goal percentage roll etc I'm just saying I have a little bit of concern about him going 37 39 game three overtime game four 38 you, you know 
Yeah, he's going to need to be good consistently throughout. Um, I'm still very worried about those minutes when he's not on the floor with Nicola. I still think that he should be handcuffed to, to Nicola. Those two should be together as much as possible. I do not like this combo. I understand why they go to it for a number of reasons. I don't feel com- like I just do not feel confident in it. Um, if Malone breaks out a multiple, you know, starter stagger, okay, okay, but I think in in general, I have some concerns about these. You know, I, I talked all year about like, well, it's fine because the benches don't matter in the playoffs. But like, I have to remind myself that if the Nuggets literally get outscored by 15 in the four minutes that Joker does not play, that's enough to sink them. So like, and and the Wolves have the offense to do that. Some yeah. teams don't. They do. If you don't step up defensively, they will score on you. And then I, last thing I'll say, Swipa, is I think the two-man game, we just haven't seen a ton of it over the last month, in large part because Denver hasn't been playing you know, their guys. That part I want to see if they can get to the fourth quarter. If you, get, if you get to a tie game or Nuggets down two with five minutes to go, I just we haven't seen a lot of those minutes over the last two months, and I'm a little curious to see, does it cost you game one because you're a little rusty at that? Like That alone could make the series completely different if, the Denver, if Jokic and Nikola just look – our Jokic and Murray look a little rusty at the two-man game. So I just want to see it. I'm more confident that that will happen, but same time, I wish we would have seen one or two more of those opportunities yep. down the stretch. say this you know I think that I'm actually really excited to see what Murray does I think from a basketball standpoint a mentality standpoint I feel as if you know please you know you all tell me if you think I'm tripping he'd watch Shea Gilgis he'd watch Anthony Edwards he'd watch uh Devin Booker even Donovan Mitchell who's going to be an all-NBA player this year there are multiple players that were on the same level as him in terms of like they were all all-star caliber-ish players that were around the same age that have all passed him, whether because of playoff performances or just crazy regular season performances like we got from D. Mitch this year. I do think that Jamal Murray, with the way that he's wired, may feel like he has something to prove this playoff. Now, again, I don't know if that's a direct like conscious thing per se, but I think from a play standpoint, we've seen him be out the last two runs and he's playing against Conley, Edwards, and Torian Prince. I do feel as if he is going to take this personal to the point of playing up to the expected level and meeting that as best as he can. But I think a lot of this comes down, Matt, we talked about, you talked about before, but shot making. Those mid-range shots in the drop coverages, that stuff has to be there. He did not shoot well from mid-range this year. A lot of that, the ACL injury, that stuff is important. But again, you know, maybe we see the variance hit where now because of the stakes, now because of the opportunity in front of him, we see him start to hit those marks. Now, if he can be a high-level mid-range shooter, I'm not saying like Devin Booker and Kevin Durant, but him doing that with the Nuggets second unit especially, I think can that can make a bit of a difference for them. Now, I think Jamal is going to have a good series here too, but I think this is probably going to be, I would argue, if the Nuggets make it out of the first round, I would say this might be the worst series he's has until he gets, if they get to the final, depending on the defense they run into. But I'm really encouraged by it. One thing I will say, just, just to kind of wrap on Jamal, I guess, it's another guy in Anthony Edwards that has passed him up in an all-star conversation. It's another guy that he's probably looking around like, what the hell? I'm better than this guy. I've outmatched this guy when we play one-on-one. 
I think that I'm better than Devin Booker. I think I'm better than Donovan Mitchell. I think that I'm better than all of these guys. Shea Gilgis Alexander is probably another one too. Uh, he's probably not right now. Like if we're be, if we're being honest, especially those last couple. But I think that he has a level where he can reach and then like get to those where those guys have been. And and he hasn't shown it during this regular season. He showed it in the playoffs, and like he's shown it in the playoffs previously. Matt's giving me the face. He's giving me just just some ugly faces over there uh, in terms of my my Jamal faith, I guess. But I don't see any reason why he can't get to that level. Uh, he's just he's just got to rise to the occasion like he has before. Is that the best option? Like probably not. Is that is Jamal trying to prove that he's better than Anthony Edwards? What's in the best interest of the Nuggets? Because I don't think so. Jamal being better than Anthony Edwards is so <laughs> yeah. whether he's trying to prove it or not, like playing better in any capacity. But you yeah. are right. I mean, that's, that's the question. Exactly. I think that's an interesting question. So, like, you know, some of this is like the the matchup stuff from the regular season is obviously really messy. We know all about that because of the how messy the schedule was. But like, he lit up Anthony Edwards six of eight shooting. Uh, Jade McDaniel's who's not going to play. That's their best wing defender, eight of eleven. Um, I just don't know that like. I felt like versus that Utah series, like Utah was a really good team when they faced them. Like, that was a really good Utah team that they beat when they were in the bubble 3-1. Um, this Wolves team isn't that good, and I feel like the Nuggets don't need hero stuff here. Like, they can just out-execute. Ooh. Adam disagrees. Hit me with why. Well, the bench is so bad. I mean, the bench was better in the bubble. So yeah, I, but, like, Murray's going to be carrying have, that. That's one thing, though. Like, we have zero evidence Jamal could do the hero stuff without Nicole on the floor. Yeah, I mean, he did it. He did it before. It's not like he can't do it again. Yeah, we have, we have done small so sample sizes. Year. That I do. That I do here. Like I agree with that. But I think if you're if you're going to put faith in your own like your own guys, like this is where it starts. Like you have to like this is what you have Jamal for. This is what he was supposed to be. It's his job to step up in this situation. And if he doesn't do it, then that's when ramifications come. Yeah, I know. I guess I, for me, I really liked how he's been more of a floor general this year. I've liked his assists, like the way that he's passed this year. I like that he's been like a more complete player. Um, I think the Nuggets can win with that version of Jamal. Like Sun Series, I kind of agree with you. Like, I think he needs to be awesome in the Sun Series. I think that's when like you need him to be top level. Um, I honestly think that they can just do their stuff, and that provides them a high enough baseline to get past Minnesota, even with the matchup problems that present. Yeah, I think the last 45 games or so, maybe 50, I think Jamal was sitting at like 22, 4, and 7. And I think he was shooting like 49% from two, 42% from three, and then like 86-ish from the line. So, yeah, so Matt, you think if he stays at around that level with the increased level of playmaking he's shown, that that will be enough for them to get out early in the series? I think, you know, I think so. Like, I just think, again – if we go back to the original point, like they just need to be better. There's times I think when you do need what Jamal brings to the table in terms of tough shot making, I think MPJ's in that in that level too. Like you need your best guys to be at their absolute best when you're facing a team that you are even with or is a little better than you. And like that's coming soon. But this one, because we kind of go back to like some of what we were talking about when we talked about the play in tournament. Uh, like, are the wolves sneaky good? Yeah. Like, are they, are they impressive in terms of how they keep together and some of the craftiness? Absolutely. This is still not a good team. Like, I watched a lot of Wolves games this year, and I like this team. 
they're not good. So like Denver should be able to beat them not with a baseline performance, a baseline playoff performance. Like Adam and I always talk about ceiling and floor. This is one where honestly, like I'm not saying you shouldn't try to hit your ceiling. Absolutely. But I don't think that you need to make things tougher on you by going into hero ball and low percentage shots and stuff like that. I think you can execute your offense, execute it well and generate enough to be able to beat this Wolves team. Well, with that, with the awesome segue, as we always get from uh, Mr. Matt Moore, Michael Porter Jr., what do you expect from Michael Porter? We can start with Matt here in this series. I'm really surprised that the, it seems like Ryan and Adam are worried about this one. I think he's going to kill in this series. Like MPJ? I, yeah, I like this matchup for him. Like, I, I just don't know. I think that there's going to be a lot of opportunities for him to find open looks. The Wolves defense does have a lot of breakdowns. The Wolves defense does sink quite a bit trying to protect the paint. Um, the Wolves defense, I think, is going to have a hard time getting contest levels on MPJ. Like, Towns is not mobile enough to get out to contest him because he's going to he's going to want to sink and make plays because that's what Towns does. He ball watches. Um, Anderson, et cetera, aren't going to have the, the wingspan to be able to get up and contest his airspace. Like, I've... I actually think this is a pretty good series for MPJ on the surface. I could be wrong. I'm not like a hundred percent on it, but like, as I think about the matchups, I feel pretty confident. And I, I don't necessarily feel like there's a good way for the wolves to hurt him. And I think he can be huge on the glass as well with, if you're able to take away some of the hustle and like little quick plays that Kyle Anderson brings on the rebounding side, you can really negate a little bit of what the wolves do. I like this matchup for MPJ, but that's just me. I like it for him as well, but I do think that he is a, kind of a pivotal piece. I mean, I think Murray and Gordon are my X factors for the series, but Porter is right there. The thing about Porter is he can – him making threes breaks your game plan more than just about anything else because you know that Yoke's going to make his shot some, you know, no matter what you do sometimes. Murray can go off. But when you – have to be put so much pressure on those other places. If Porter has a Porter quarter, hits three threes in a row, like you just doubt your scouting report. You doubt your game plan. You start to doubt all of those things. So for me, Porter has the opportunity to make this series significantly easier on Denver by just making shots. And I agree with you, Matt. He does have favorable matchups, but it's still, he just needs to make the shots. He's not, I don't think the good matchup means he's going to get more opportunity. It just means he's going to have a greater opportunity to capitalize on, on the, the shots he is going to get. Yeah, more of the the questions that I have are are when you do get into those staggers and you do try to switch up some of the matchups and put them on Towns as a defensive guy. Like, I I think that offensively, Denver's in a great position to score on this Timberwolves team. Like, they they're going to be really good. There's there's no doubt in my mind that especially with this with this starting group that they're going to be really good. And Porter's a big big part of that. And, And like Adam said, like if if he if he puts up a crooked number that you're not really expecting. It, it just flips the entire momentum of a, of a game and, and potentially a series at, a, at an important moment. Like he is absolutely liable in a game three in a road arena to put up four straight threes in a quarter because like, he's done it before. And we've actually seen that happen. So I think that this is a really great opportunity for redemption for him in some ways where so much of the narrative on him nationally flipped. He's been so great this entire year in terms of fitting into exactly what the nuggets need him to do. And now that you get into the playoffs, this is a time where he can color outside the lines just a little bit and and provide that little extra star push that he's had in his back pocket and and continues to have like this, this could be a really great opportunity for him. I zero doubt. Hmm. 
Well, and then maybe the last core piece is Aaron Gordon. Do you have any expectation for Aaron Gordon in this series, given some of the matchup problems that the Wolves could present? This one's big for me, man. This is he's a he's right at the center of this matchup for me. He's got to be great. You talk about Carl Anthony Towns will put himself in foul trouble if you make him. Aaron Gordon can help that. I mean, just by being aggressive and getting to the rim. And then I do think I don't want him settling for threes. I hope Denver has more options for how to use him when you know if they do put a go bear on him and just tell him to roam off. I hope that Denver has a better game plan than what we've seen, obviously, in that Philly game and in other periods. But either way, there are going to be moments where he's going to have to just knock down shots in high leverage situations, whether they're free throws or whether they're wide open kickout threes in the clutch. It's going to be a lot of pressure for him. I think he can make it easier by being good early on in this series. Um, but I do think that he is going to be at the forefront of a lot of the close games in the series. You know, when they put Townsend at five, they run a little bit more. They won't do it every time. They'll switch up. But they, they play at the level a lot more in pick and roll coverage. And if you put AG, that's going to give AG opportunities as the small ball short roll five. And I like that opportunity for him, like putting him in a situation where it's either it's dunk, lob, layup, kick to corner. I think that can work out pretty well for them. Like that's a pretty good counter to having Towns in because Towns is much better at the level and is terrible and drop. And so I think that they're probably going to want to play a little bit more aggressive if they dare Jamal then that's where Jamal can get easy buckets, right? Like instead of talking about, we talked about the hero stuff. If Towns is in that second unit and he staggers um, with AG, if Towns drops, Jamal can get to easy mid-range stuff that's just clean and simple. And and that way he can have huge games without necessarily pushing the envelope. And then if they put two at the level, Jamal's passing has evolved enough. He can hit AG on that short roll and they can punish it. Maybe a reason why they should have, oh, I don't know, played AG a little bit more at the five to get some more of those rotations minutes. But that's neither here nor there. We're past that point in the season. Um, so, like, I think that there's, like, I hear all, a, a lot of the of the discussions about this stuff, but I do think, um, Ryan, I kind of wonder, I want to ask you this. Given what you've kind of expressed, I think there's a way to maybe stagger MPJ in the against the non-cat minutes. And I like that concept a lot of, you don't like, oh, no, Towns is on, take MPJ off, but you just say, Hey, Towns is going out at the six minute mark. Let's play Mike to the end of the first and give him that opportunity to play against a team that's going to want to compact that doesn't space and doesn't have that threat with uh, with Towns in there at the five. I personally love it, Matt. I'll let Ryan answer, but I personally think that is huge, especially if they're going to put Gobert on Jokic for that entire first quarter, like for the back half when Towns sits. Spread it out. Make make Gobert have to guard him without any help. Yeah. I think it's a really interesting concept. I think with regard to Aaron, uh, I think pairing him with Jeff Green is going to be really interesting off the off the bench. Um, that's going to be like, I also think that there's going to be opportunities for AG and Jeff next to Nicola when the Wolves try to go as big as they do. They're going to play Kyle Anderson. They're going to play Kat. They're going to play Gobert. They're going to play Tari and Prince, guys like that. There's going to be an opportunity for Denver to play like really big lineups as well. And then like their starting lineup last year and then have some cutters uh, that that should really take advantage of the Timberwolves with the the lack. Like they, they don't provide great help in those situations. Their, their defense isn't that disciplined in that regard. So uh, but on the Michael Porter side of things, you want to give him the first and third quarter. I, th- I think you're right. Uh, just one of the things that really stands out to me about Michael Porter's best games this year is when he has played in those extended first and third quarter runs 
it's very rare where he gets the opportunity to do that. I think that they were very judicious with his minutes this year. But this is the time where you got to take the you got to take the uh, blinders off. Like he's he's got to be playing 35 minutes pretty consistently in this series. And because the the actual threat that you get from that is a 40, 42, 45 percent three point shooter, depending on the night. Like it is going to bend the T Wolves in such a way that Aaron Gordon just isn't going to be able to do. So Denver has so many different combinations at their disposal that we haven't even really talked about. But like I think that like if you if you go with Aaron Gordon and Jeff Green off the bench, then Michael Porter can play the four. He can spot up at the four, give you as much spacing as you've ever had in your starting lineup. And that's a really exciting concept to me. And this is gonna be something I think that's gonna be hard for Malone, but I don't think this is a Bruce Brown series. Um, I think he can guard Conley in some of the backup stints. I think that might be okay. I think that matchup's all right. Uh, Jordan McLaughlin, that's a, a fine matchup for him. But if Malone is like, yeah, go get Ant, go, go get Ant, Bruce, that's nope, that's that's not the move. We've seen that all year against these well, bigger guys. And to me, Ant's so strong and powerful. That's like not the way to go. So for me, like there's no, there, there's not even like a, well, I'm going to get MPJ off because I need to get Bruce on. Like, no, there's no real reason to get Bruce on and MPJ off here. If anything, you want Bruce and MPJ together more. Well, again, another great segue by Matt. What lineup, given that information, what lineup do you want to see the Nuggets use the most in this series? One they won't, won't run. Like it's it's one with AG off the floor. Like I would I would like to see like Jamal, Bruce, KCP with MPJ. Um, That's how you beat the Gobert minutes. That's how you beat the Gobert versus Jokic minutes. I agree. I'm I'm with you. I mean, I would have just said Christian Brown in for Aaron Gordon, and then you can and figure out the other guys. I mean, I think it's Murray as well, but. You could figure out what other pieces it is, whether it's Bruce and KCP, Murray and Bruce, Murray and KCP, whatever it is. That's a lineup that I just think you're probably going to have to find that has shooting in particular, puts Michael Porter at the four, which, by the way, it's a little crazy. The Nuggets don't play with him at the four more often because I think it's their most potent lineups when he's there. You can't do it against everyone, but this is the exact moment where you can do it. I think the number on that is they've played about four or five percent of MPJ's minutes at the four, which <laughs> to me is crazy. Like he's six yeah. foot ten. Yeah. I think you should probably try that. That seems like a good idea. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I think Jeff Green's a, a big key here because he has Michael Malone's faith. There, there's no doubt about that. That he's probably going to go to that lineup and they'll probably go to AG at the five. I, I think that some of the minutes that we're talking about with Michael Porter at the four, they're probably going to go to Jeff Green because. That's just what they want to do early on in a series. So it, it's going to be interesting to see. I think if I had to pick one lineup that I'd go with, I, why not throw all the starters out there minus Jokic in the non-Jokic minutes and then put Christian Brown or Bruce Brown out there? Like Murray, KCP, Bruce Brown, Michael Porter, Aaron Gordon. Like just, just go full heel. Just say, hey, we can't play non-starter minutes without Jokic. So we're just going to play all the starters. I've long said they don't have a bench problem. They have a non-Jokic problem. So I don't know if that solves it or if it just makes the non-Jokic problem your starters. That would be hilarious. It would be a weird moment to try it for the first time ever in the playoffs. That one to me feels a little – I mean, we're going to get to – I predicted a month ago that we are going to see in game one a lineup that's never played together before. But but that one might be a little too bold. (laughs) 
Yeah, I think if I had to say any lineup that I want to see, um, I don't know if you know this, I have a Peyton Watson infatuation. Um, no. I think that putting Peyton Watson next to Christian Brown and Jamal with the bench, I know that it doesn't make sense offensively, I think, but this is what I'm saying. I don't think they're going to score a lot of points with the bench anyway. Um, I think that's <laughs> kind of been my that's been my resolve. Like, I just don't think that's going to happen. So I think that if you can put as much length and defenders around Jamal, that way when he does catch on, again, a staggered threes or some pin downs, whatever you're doing, giving him an opportunity to score, he doesn't have to work as hard on defense. And you basically just say, like, just go be James Harden to the best of your ability for at least a two-minute stretch or something. Um, For me, I kind of want to see that. And I want to see what he looks like when he had Zeke um, with him. And so maybe he could just get a bunch of runners with him, and whether Jeff Green or Blocko with Zeke, with Peyton and Brown. Um, I just want to see them go to work and see if they can lock up and maybe he can make the most of those minutes. But uh, as Matt said, we have not seen that version of Jamal um, all year, at least not as strong stretching. I, I disagree a little bit. I think we saw it versus the Warriors and the Hawks a little bit, but it hasn't happened a lot this season. So maybe we'll get it to the playoffs. Um. Well, so the last thing is we have to pick the series. Oh. So based on everything that you know, Best outcome, worst outcome. Ryan, you can start. Pick the series. What do you think the series comes down to? I, I don't know if you know this, man, but I've been known to reverse jinx the shit out of things. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, so, okay. Best I don't want to break it to you. You can't jinx them. Fair. I, it feels like it, it, it but you can't. I, I don't know if you saw like a couple weeks ago where – we had the play-in game where it was Denver clinching the one seed, and then they immediately give up this six-point run in eleven seconds. Uh, the Grizzlies <laughs> did, so that was uh, that was pretty sketchy. Um, but look, I think best-case scenario for Denver is that they approach this really well in those first two games, and they they take care of business on their home court, and then win Game Three as well. Uh, just just you don't necessarily know if you're going to be able to do that. But that is the best case scenario where they just prove that they are the better team and they have more discipline uh, in in those situations and in a must win situation for a game uh, in Minnesota. Like you take the first two games, you win game three, and then the series is over at that point, regardless of what anybody wants to tell you. Real quick, just this just came across the wire. Rudy Gobert questionable for game one back spasms. (laughs) He'll play. Well, yeah, problem. Sure, you know, but nonetheless, it's also a thing, though. You know, yeah, it is. His back has really been hurting him. So, so wait. So you're saying Jokic is taking six shots tomorrow? <laughs> Come on, man. Come on, <laughs> man. I need. I need. Uh, I'll go next. I'll go next. Uh, Nuggets win game one. Nuggets win game two. Nuggets lose game three. Nuggets win game four. Nuggets lose game five at home. Nuggets lose. Nuggets win Game Six on the road. Nuggets in six. Matt always has to come up with a crazy, uh, a crazy way. It's gonna. It's happen. not crazy. Like if, it's, you say, if you say Nuggets in six, it's like, come on, Matt, that's boring. He's like, wait, but wait, here's what's gonna happen. Though. Yeah, because it's here. It here it is. They win the first two games, and everyone's like, okay, okay, Denver, we see you. They lose Game Three on the road. Well, I don't know this matchup. I tell you, they win Game Four, and it's like, okay, fine. Denver's going to get past them. They lose game five at home in embarrassing fashion. Ah, oh, Nuggets are frauds. I tell you, this Wolves team could do it. Oh, no, they lost in six. 
Like the Nuggets' way is to win in the exact number of games as they were expected to, but it to look for some reason in yes. a way that that reinforces the haters to be like, "Told you." Yes. You're like, yes. hold on, what? they won in yes. they won in five, but yeah, told you. Um, I think uh, look, Denver's a lot better than this team. This is the first playoff series I think I've gone into outside of the very first one ever against the Spurs, but outside of that one, this is the one I most feel like Denver is just better than their opponents, and they should win. And I do think that as much as there are challenges, they should win this one comfortably. I'll say Denver in five. I don't have a ton of confidence in that. But mostly for two reasons. One, Denver's never taken care of their business. In every series they've ever played, there's been a, a, a WTF game. There's been at least one game where you're like, what just happened to you guys? Um, the only series I think that hasn't – they didn't have one. Game three against the Blazers or game four, if you remember when the hotel got protested and they ended up losing. and That, that was the WTF game, but you could also say, well, they had a weird night. So I think they should win in five. If they win in six, it's probably because something happened where there is a WTF game in there. Um, but when you said upside and downside, Swipa, the upside is that the Nuggets, for the first time ever, come out and take every single game seriously and ah. out-talent this team and win in four. Ah. It's possible. Um, ah. It's possible. I'm not holding my breath. And the worst-case <laughs> scenario is that they lose the series. They're capable of it. And the way they played the, the last month of the season, while I don't think it actually matters, I'm one of these people that is now past it looking back, I don't think it actually matters. But if you do just not find a rhythm, then I'll be wrong about that. And I'll say, you know what? It didn't matter. And here's the result. And then, like, you know, this is the first time we've, we've talked about this a lot. It, you know, you lose the Spurs in, in 2019. If you'd lost to the Spurs, it'd be like, okay, first playoff run, young team, got a lot to learn, Greg Popovich, et cetera. Um, you know, 2020, if they'd lost that first round series to the Jazz, well, like the Jazz were the best team in the league that season. So it's like they were a, a or they were like third, I think. Um, but like Donovan Mitchell, a little bit more established and all the all these types of things. Um, you know, 20, 2021, no Jamal. Well, the injuries lost too, yeah. No Jamal. This is the first one where it's like, if you go out in the first round, it's a catastrophe. Like it is an abject disaster. And it's like all of the things that you thought were good have now like you have been shown to be an illusion and you have to make these major changes. Like they have to at least get to the next round to even start to be like, we don't have to make drastic changes. We just have to probably change coaches, but like make some other like things on the side. You lose right? in round one. I think coaches, I don't think it stops at coach. I agree. That's, that's kind of the, that to me is the difference here is like, as long as they get past this round, I don't think that there's major changes to the roster. I agree. Time. I agree. I think if, they, if, you lose, if you lose to the Minnesota Timberwolves, Timberwolves, I think you have to say, I don't think this is the right collection. And then yeah. um, if, the, if the Timberwolves win the series, Tim Conley gets the executive of the year award that Nuggets fans want to give Calvin Booth, right? That's how that works. I'm, like, I'm dead serious. You, th- you, you laugh, but I think that there would be a lot of, I don't think it would go to that point, but I just think it would be rough on every single corner of the organization <laughs> from ownership to front office, to coaching, to players. It would be very, very tough for them. I think uh, so. We'll see. It's, it's, honestly, it's one of the reasons why I think that they are like, I'll, I'll I'm going to make an official prediction at that nuggets and five here. I, I think that they are Ooh. going to take this as serious as they ever have 
this man, is, I, they, they, I, they've got the right mix of people. They've got I the agree right too, Ryan, of... but I feel like I, it's funny that Matt's shaking his head because I agree with you, man. But those, those previous times, Matt, they were <laughs> meaningfully younger. I mean, we are talking essentially about three years ago. The thing that this team has definitely told us all year is that they take things very seriously all well, the time. Hey, are they the number one seed? True. Did they <laughs> set a goal at the beginning of the year to be better at home? If they like, win I, in six, it's it's fine, right? You can screw around two games and still win. How is that not – what's more Denver this year Honestly, Honestly, I think that this group – I think they understand how important it is to try to win a series quickly. I, I do think that this group has been burned by that over and over and over again. Uh, in, in I, I think they feel that way, or at least Jokic and Murray are going to see that, and then like it's it's going mean, to filter down. And you've got enough veterans now on this team that I think that they're going to keep their heads on straight, knowing that this is going to be like you can't you can't mess around in these series if you actually believe you're a championship contender. You have to take care of business early. Yeah, I mean, look, and we talked about this about how much like a lot of this is just they've they've messed with us as a collective media group about who they are. Yeah. for this duration and like all of us have had to kind of decide like like do you believe that they can do this or not right and like most of us i think have have swung to yeah they can do this they're going to do this they're going to take this seriously they're going to be locked in they're going to do this um i for whatever reason when i've just thought about it and searched my feelings have like wound up on a you're going to have to show this to me. Like I'm going to reserve some skepticism until you prove it to me. And when you prove it to me, I'll give you the credit for having done that. Like if, if Ryan's right, would not shock me at all. Like wouldn't a sweep wouldn't surprise me. Like they have the capacity to absolutely wipe the floor with this team, but I'm going to hold back and be like, I still think they win, but I'm going to give the wolves two games here out of a respect for the wolves. And a matter of like, you're going to have to show me that you're going to take it seriously enough to get this done. Yeah, I think I made my official predictions earlier today uh, during the snooze fest that was the Nets game. Um, I think that they should get this done in five, but I think that's also based on the fact I've seen them play for a 40-game sample size this year where they were basically like they were the best team in basketball and they were beating down on the Bucks, on the 76ers, well, not 76ers at the time, but they gave up a 12-0 run at the end of the third quarter, but who brings that up? If they um, were up at the no. very end of that third quarter, they were. Yeah, you know, and then even the Memphis game where March 3rd, they got up a seven-game lead for first and all that stuff. And so I, I know there's a lot of stuff that's happened since then, and they've lost to the Rockets. They lost to the Jazz, and the national media basically turned on them and said they're lucky to miss the Lakers in the first round. The Lakers barely beat the, you know, Timberwolves without three of their best players and Anthony Edwards with a shoulder injury. So I think, like, I think they should get it done. The worst-case scenario for me is that Jokic decides that, hey, we're up 2-0. I don't really want to play in Minnesota. And then he doesn't show up in Minnesota for either game. And then they make it like, all right, win the next game at home. Then we'll close it out on the road. For me, the worst game scenario is six because I do think that if they are serious, you have the Suns, who I think are going to be in a dogfight in the first round, in the next round. And then after that, you're probably going to have one of the Warriors and or Lakers. So for me is I think that if you want to make sure you're taking care of your business, then you got to get it done. But, you know, yep. that's just my expectation. I agree. Well, look. This has been an excellent episode, and I, I, I think that people have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Um, Ryan, Matt, Adam, you all bring very unique and different perspectives to the game and to just how you look at basketball and to the Denver Nuggets. And I know that Nuggets Nation as a whole uh, deeply appreciates the work that you've done uh, for many years. Um, I am but a young rookie uh, compared to you all. So 
I, I deeply appreciate all the work that you put in and the time you put into doing this, man. So I really think this is going to be a great run. And, you know, if they get out of this series, we can do this before the next round as well. So um, I appreciate you all being here. Any last closing thoughts before we depart? Uh, Denver's got to do the thing. Like they've, they've told us all year that they can do it and to be patient, do the thing, get us off your back, uh, leave nothing to doubt in these situations. And, and there's no doubt in my mind that they can do that. It's just about how, how seriously they are about themselves and, and this particular run. So we're going to see, but if you have faith in Nikola Jokic bringing it, then I, I think that that's where you start with this. And, and I think all Nuggets fans are ready for, Nikola Jokic to really take this by storm. I want to see a surprise hero for the Nuggets, whether it's Vlako Chanchar or Peyton Watson. Um, I wouldn't. I don't think Christian Brown qualifies at this point with how much faith everybody rightfully has in him. Yeah, but he um, hasn't been a hero. He can be a hero. He can be a hero. Um, or somebody on the bench, one of the guys that I like, Jeff Green. It's one of, the, one of those dudes. I would like to see like a surprise hero for the Nuggets. Um step up just because I think it's, it makes for a good tapestry of a playoff run when you're like, Oh, do you remember that series? Like, do you remember that wolf series and like how big that guy was in game six? It adds to the story of the playoffs. I think the story of the playoffs is such a good way to end this because, you know, there's surprise games throughout the regular season, but most games you forget, like you just do like most games throughout the course of the season. You just forget the regular season ones. You remember the playoff ones and we've been waiting on this one for three years. So I'm just excited to hear what you guys all have to say on the panel and everybody in the chat, it's just one of those things where I'm excited because um, it's history, and we hope it's a good history. Bring it y'all, <laughs> make, sure, <laughs> make sure that y'all subscribe, Locked On Nuggets. Great, great, great show that they do almost every day during the week. A lot of great content there. Maha Sports with Ryan Blackburn and myself. And also DNVR, uh, again, great bar, great vibe, great energy, great cast of characters that they have on that team. And everybody and everything that that, that Matt is doing for the Action Network and all the – if you want your betting yeah. information, buckets, buckets, buckets get, your, all get your bets in on the Buckets pod. <laughs> this game is all well, about one wait, thing, Matthew, Buckets. Give us a tease. Do you have your bet already for game one of the Nuggets? Uh, no, I do not. I think uh, I'm probably going to lean towards an under. That's probably where I'm going to be. <laughs> Ugly. <laughs> just also a is Matt Moore. Don't laugh at me. It's just a good prediction. <laughs> also, is the Matt. Oh, you guys think game one will be fun? I suspect it'll be not fun. <laughs> All right, y'all. We getting out of here. We will see y'all again soon. Make sure y'all subscribe, like the channel, share everything.